Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Monday, November 20th, 2023. All right, the first story at the top of Antiwar.com today, the U.S. says that Israel has the right to expand its war into the South. So over the past few days, there's been a lot of indications from Israeli officials that they plan to really ramp up their military operations in southern Gaza. And a U.S. official said on Sunday that Israel has the right to expand its military operations in southern Gaza, but said the Biden administration is looking for a delay in the plan to account for the hundreds of thousands of civilians who have fled the fighting from the north. So this is a quote from John Finer, who is the Deputy National Security Advisor. So he's Jake Sullivan's number two. Uh, he said, quote, in the event that we believe that Israel is likely to embark on combat operations in the South, we believe both they have the right to do that, but that there is real concern because hundreds of thousands of residents of Gaza have fled now from the North to the South at Israel's request, end quote. So Israel has been bombing South Gaza throughout the war, even after asking people to evacuate there. And there are stories of people that left the North only to get bombed in the South. But now Israeli officials are vowing to further expand the war in the South because the, well, there have been airstrikes there. You know, the bulk of the fighting of the airstrikes and the ground fighting has been in the North. But ground operations are expected to begin now in the south. And Reuters reported on Saturday that more civilian casualties are expected in the south because there's more, you know, there's, again, hundreds of thousands of people that have taken refuge there that some are just living out in tents on the street. Um, but that fact has not deterred the Israelis from uh, planning to launch this big military operation in the south. And, you know, what Finer said here is kind of what we've been seeing throughout this war. You see the U.S. officials kind of act like they care about civilian casualties and that they want Israel to limit civilian casualties. But the truth is they don't because they're not using any leverage over Israel that they have. And the U.S. continues to provide military aid unconditionally. Pentagon says the weapons they are sending can be used without limits you know, Lindsey Graham, he's a senator. He's not in the Biden administration. But what I think but I think what he said is is really true. He was asked, uh, I think it was on CNN, you know, at what point is is civilian casualties, you know, too much? At one point, is the U.S. going to put a limit on it? And Graham said that there is no limit to how many civilians Israel can kill in its war in Gaza. We'll keep supporting them no matter what. And the latest death toll from Gaza's health ministry is now over 13,000 Palestinians, including over 5,500 children. That number is believed to be on the lower side. Thousands are under the rubble, including lots of children. Um, And so another sign that they're expanding things in the south, Israel dropped leaflets on the southern city of Khan Yunus, telling civilians to evacuate to unspecified shelters. So after the leaflets were dropped, Israeli strikes hit the city, killing 26 Palestinians. According to the Palestinian news agency Wafa, uh, no strikes. It was mostly children who died. Um, 
All right, so the next one here, Qatar says that minor issues are preventing the Israel-Hamas hostage deal. So Qatar's prime minister said Sunday that only minor issues are preventing a deal being reached between Israel and Hamas on Israeli hostages being held in Gaza. So the comments from Sheikh Mohammed bin Abdurrahman Al Thani came after the Washington Post reported on Saturday that an agreement on Hamas releasing at least 50 hostages in exchange for a five-day pause in fighting was close. So we've seen a few reports that say a deal was close, but we still haven't seen one materialize. The Washington Post report initially had a headline that said a tentative deal was reached between the U.S., Israel, and Hamas. It was interesting that they included the U.S. in there. Um, so... So that headline and and the news alert that the Washington Post sent out said tentative deal reached on Hamas uh, on Hamas uh, hostage release or or something like that. And that spread everywhere, even though the article actually didn't say that it said that a deal was close. Um, And the the report prompted denials from the U.S. and from Israel. Uh, Netanyahu dismissed what he called a lot of incorrect reports on an imminent hostage deal and added that as of now, there is no deal. The White House and National Security Council also um, denied the idea that any sort of deal has been reached. So Qatar has been mediating the talks, and Prime Minister Althani said that he believed good progress has been made. He said, quote, the challenges facing the agreement are just practical and logistical, there has been good progress in the past few days. The deal is going through ups and downs from time to time throughout the last few weeks, end quote. Again, he's saying he's more confident that a deal can happen, but uh, we'll see. Um, It's hard for me to believe that Netanyahu's going to agree to anything like this. I mean, this deal that they're talking about is a five-day pause in fighting, and you see that they already have their eyes on really ramping things up in the South. Um, I think it's possible that Israel's just kind of stringing them along, you know, both Hamas and the U.S., to thinking that they might agree to something. But at the same time, you know, these there's negotiations going on here, so maybe um, they will agree to something um, to get the hostages released. Um, all right, so the next one here. Haaretz reports that Israeli helicopter fire hit musical music festival attendees on October 7th. This is an interesting report here. So Haaretz, the Israeli newspaper, reported on Saturday that an Israeli military helicopter fired and hit attendees of the Nova Music Festival in southern Israel during the Hamas attack on October 7th. So uh, I just put in the excerpt from the report here. It says, quote, according to a police source, the investigation also indicates that an IDF combat helicopter that arrived to the scene and fired at terrorists there apparently also hit some festival participants, end quote. So the police investigation also found that it's unlikely the Hamas fighters who attacked Israel had knowledge that the music festival was taking place and decided to attack it spontaneously. And bolstering that case is the fact that this music festival was originally scheduled to take place on Thursday and Friday, and that that it was only approved to continue into Saturday, which was October 7th. And and that was only approved, the extension, just a few days before. Um, So this was not a long scheduled event that was happening on on that Saturday. 
So this Haaretz report is the latest evidence indicating that the Israeli military was responsible for some of the civilian casualties incurred on October 7th and in the fighting that ensued in the days after the initial Hamas attack. So the gray zone, Max Blumenthal wrote, uh, he put together a lot of evidence from different Israeli media reports. Um, This was a few weeks ago that he published this, and it included a report from Yedioth Aharonoth, which is the Israeli newspaper, probably butchered the pronunciation there, but um, if you know Ynet, the English language website, it's uh, they're basically the same media outlet. Um, so anyway, this report said that helicopter pilots had tremendous difficulty distinguishing Hamas fighters from Israelis on the ground. And this report was published early in October, I believe on October 14th. Um, that this that this was reported, so it was known for some time, uh, as reported by Israeli media, that the helicopter pilots had difficulty determining who they were firing at. And this isn't just talking about the helicopter pilots responding near the to the to the music festival, um, but also uh, other uh, areas around southern Israel where the Hamas fighters were and where hostages were. Um, So this report said, quote, the Hamas army, it turns out, deliberately made it difficult for the helicopter pilots and the operators of UAVs. It became clear that the invading forces were asked in the last briefings to walk slowly into the settlements and outposts or within them and under no circumstances to run in order to make the pilots think they were Israelis, end quote. So the report said that the pilots decided to fire anyway. Quote, this deception worked for a considerable time until the Apache pilots realized that they had to skip all the restrictions. It was only around 9 a.m. that some of them began to spray the terrorists with the cannons on their own without authorization from superiors, end quote. Um, And there's also evidence that the Israeli military, you know, fired on houses, shelled houses where Hamas uh, militants were. Uh, with hostages. And again, this is that report at the gray zone really goes through a lot of the details. Um, So all stuff to keep in mind, uh, you know, when they're trying to use what Hamas did on October 7th to justify all these atrocities that we're seeing in Gaza. All right. So the next one here, Deputy Knesset Speaker says we are too humane. Burn Gaza now. So this article is from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute. And it says that an Israeli official called for the complete destruction of Gaza. And this is Deputy Speaker of the Knesset, Nisim Vaturi. He said, quote, we are all, we are too humane, burn Gaza now, no less. All of this preoccupation with whether or not there is internet in Gaza shows that we have learned nothing. We are too humane. Don't allow fuel in, don't allow water in until the hostages are returned back, end quote. Um, So some more. Uh, you know, fiery rhetoric from Israeli officials. All right, so the next one here, 31 babies evacuated from Gaza's Al-Shifa hospital. So 31 premature babies have been evacuated from northern Gaza's Al-Shifa hospital to southern Gaza, where they are being prepared to enter Egypt for medical care. When the Israeli siege on Al-Shifa began, there was 39 babies in the neonatal ICU and they were removed from their incubators due to power outages. If you remember, I covered that uh, when that happened. 
So eight of the babies died before they could be evacuated, including two who were pronounced dead just before the rescue operation. The World Health Organization said that the 31 babies were evacuated in Palestinian Red Crescent ambulances, and the World Health Organization said that the doctors found, quote, all the babies are fighting serious infections due to lack of medical supplies and impossibility to continue infection control measures in Al-Shifa Hospital, end quote. So after visiting the hospital, the World Health Organization described Al-Shifa as a death zone with a mass grave at the entrance as dozens of patients have died. About 250 patients in serious condition remain at the hospital with about 20 hospital workers left to take care of them. So some have evacuated. When the Israeli siege started, there was about 700 patients still at the hospital. So Israel has justified its siege on the hospital by claiming that Hamas has a command center under Al-Shifa, and this claim has been backed by the U.S., but Israel has yet to provide evidence for its assertion. The Israeli military released video footage on Sunday that purported to show tunnels that go underneath the hospital, but the presence of tunnels in the hospital is not sufficient evidence to say that Hamas you know, definitively had a command center under the hospital. We know that Israel built a significant basement under al-Shifa when it ruled over Gaza in the 1980s. And some of the reports about the Israeli construction under the hospital uh, said that it also included a network of tunnels. So, you know, that's something to keep in mind that it means Israel knows there's a there's a bunker under the hospital because they built it. Um I think it's definitely possible that Hamas was operating from under the hospital, but I think, it, you know, if their tunnels really connected to the bunker, it, it's clear they would have been out of there by now. That's why the Israeli strategy to just attack and lay siege to a hospital. Um, it just so seems so counterproductive. Uh, I mean, just the the evil of it, of attacking a hospital that's clearly still functioning as a hospital or trying to function as a hospital full of patients, but also just for PR purposes, you would think they would have tried to go about it differently, but maybe it just shows their hubris. Um, but, uh, you know, for their part, Hamas and all the hospital staff deny that, that there was any sort of command center. And there's also the videos of IDF, the IDF spokesman walking around the hospital and finding guns and rifles and, you know, they show, they laid them out on the table. It was only 10 rifles. Again, nothing indicating a command center. And there's always a possibility that Israel could have planted uh, some evidence. All right. Uh, the next one here, the UN forced to halt aid deliveries into Gaza. This article is from Kyle. Uh, on Friday, the UN said that it was no longer able to continue aid deliveries into Gaza as an Israeli fuel blockade of the enclave has led to a widespread communications blackout. The World Health Organization warned that the ending of aid deliveries means the immediate possibility of starvation for the 2.3 million people in Gaza. Um, so they're saying that the communications is down because there's no fuel and it makes it impossible to manage or coordinate humanitarian aid convoys. Um, and this is something I think as this war continues and it doesn't seem like there's any end in sight. I think we're going to see a lot of people die from disease due to lack of clean water and possibly uh, starvation. 
All right, so the next one here, Yemen's Houthis seized an Israeli-linked ship in the Red Sea. So Yemen's Houthis have seized an Israeli-linked ship in the Red Sea after vowing to target Israeli vessels in the region over Israel's onslaught in Gaza. So the Houthis, the Houthi forces seized the Bahama, Bahamas-flagged Galaxy Leader, which is a car carrier that's owned by a company called Ray Car Carriers. And this shipping firm was founded by Israeli shipping mogul Abraham Ungar. So Ray Car Carriers, which is based in the Isle of Man, is still believed to be owned by Ungar, this Israeli billionaire. So Israeli officials are insisting that the ship is not Israeli because it's British-owned, and it, and it's currently operated by a Japanese company. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's office said that 25 crew members had been taken hostage by the Houthis and that no Israelis were on board. Lebanon's Al Mayadeen reported on the ship seizure and put the number of crew members higher, saying that 52 people were detained by the Houthis. According to AP, the Houthis said that they were treating the crew members in accordance with their Islamic values. The Houthis also said that all ships belonging to Israel or that deal with Israel will become legitimate targets. And the Houthis, they're formerly known as Ansar Allah, have been firing missiles and drones at Israel over the Israeli assault on Gaza. They've also recently downed an American MQ-9 Reaper drone that was flying near Yemen and is believed to have fired. It's believed that the Houthis were responsible for the drone that was recently fired at a U.S. warship in the Red Sea. So one thing always to keep in mind is that the U.S. has actually been at war with the Houthis since 2015 by backing the Saudi-UAE coalition against them. Um, And that support included, you know, maintaining their air force, intelligence, helping enforce a blockade. And if you see, read Houthi media, they report, you know, Saudi airstrikes and stuff as U.S.-Saudi aggression. So to the Houthis, they're very much at war with the U.S., Although there has been a ceasefire that's held well since April 2022, but there's always the risk of this war escalating again. All right, so the next one here, uh, Biden's approval rating slips to 40%. And this is another one from Kyle at the Libertarian Institute, and this is very much related to his Israel policy. So an NBC News poll found that President Joe Biden is beginning to struggle with a key demographic the president's approval rating is continuing to sag, and young, young Americans are, are opposed to his foreign policy, especially support for Israel. So the poll conducted by NBC from November 10th to the 14th found that Biden's approval rating has sunk to the lowest level of his presidency, 40%. And uh, driving Biden's poor performance is dissatisfaction with his foreign policy. Only 33% of voters approve of his foreign policy, while 34% of Americans approve of his handling of Israel's onslaught in Gaza. Um, so it's really young Americans where he's struggling. And his approval rating for that group has fell to 31% from 46% in September. So that's a pretty big drop. And the decline is likely driven by his full-throated support for Israel's war in Gaza. According to the NBC poll, 70% of Americans aged 18 to 34 disapprove of Biden's handling of this war. Um, So pretty significant, I'd say those numbers are. All right, so the next one here, getting out of the Israel-Gaza stuff. 
Um, this is some some good news. The Senate passed a bill to suspend military aid to Azerbaijan. So the Senate on Thursday passed a bill by voice vote that would suspend military aid to Azerbaijan for two years following Baku's takeover of Nagorno-Karabakh, which pushed over 100,000 ethnic Armenians out of the territory. So Nagorno-Karabakh was, I, you know, I usually describe it as an ethnic Armenian enclave within what they call Azerbaijan's internationally recognized borders. Uh, but they basically ethnically cleanse the area of the uh, 120,000 Armenians that live there. According to the numbers I see, you know, I'm not sure if all 120,000 were pushed out, but over 100,000 were. Um, so this bill, the Armenian Protection Act of 2023, would prohibit the president from issuing a waiver that allows the U.S. to provide Azerbaijan with military assistance. U.S. aid to Azerbaijan was banned by Section 907 of the 1992 Freedom Support Act, and that was passed during the first Nagorno-Karabakh War. Uh, but in 2002, the George W. Bush administration was happy with Azerbaijan's, you know, whatever they were doing for them during the war on when the war on terror first started. So they began providing a waiver to give military aid to Azerbaijan. And the U.S. has issued that waiver every year except this year since 2002. And pressure has started to really build not to issue that waiver since the 2020 Nagorno-Karabakh War when Azerbaijan retook a lot of uh, they took a lot of territory around Nagorno-Karabakh that was controlled by Armenia. Um, so that Armenia won control of during the first Nagorno-Karabakh war. So what's interesting about this is that the, the Biden administration has not renewed that waiver in 2023. And according to a, a report from Politico last month, Secretary of State Antony Blinken actually told Congress that they were not planning to renew the waiver for Azerbaijan. And I think this has a good chance of passing through the House, the Armenian Protection Act. And it's better than there was a House bill that was introduced that got a lot of support, a lot of co-sponsors. And that would have cut off Azerbaijan from military aid, but given more military aid to Armenia. So this way, this one is just about cutting off uh, Azerbaijan. Um Although it's only for two years for some reason, just 2024 and 2025. Um, so we'll see how it how it does in the House. And since it is only two years, you know, I, I think if it was a more permanent thing, it might get a veto from the White House. But since it's, since it's just two years, President Biden might sign it into law. And the uh, the Senate version of this bill was introduced by Senator Gary Peters. He is a Democrat from Michigan. All right, so the next one here, Zelensky says that artillery deliveries have decreased since the Gaza war broke out. So Zelensky has said that deliveries of artillery shells from the U.S. have decreased since Israel unleashed its campaign in Gaza following the October 7th Hamas attack. So the U.S. has provided Ukraine with a huge amount of artillery ammunition since Russia launched launched its invasion last year, including over 2,155mm artillery shells. And that is the big ticket item, is the 155mm uh, version. 
So the U.S. sent over 2 million and supplies are strained as Ukraine is using ammunition at a much faster rate than not only what the U.S. can produce, but what the entire NATO alliance can produce. Supplies are even more strained now that the U.S. has been backing Israel's onslaught in Gaza. That support includes near-daily weapons shipments, and there is a report from Axios that said the U.S. has actually diverted artillery shipments that are that were bound to Ukraine, bound for Ukraine, diverted them to Israel. Um, so Zelensky told reporters on November 16th, quote, our deliveries have decreased. It's not like the U.S. said we don't give Ukraine any. No, it's just that everyone is fighting for stockpiles themselves. This is life. I'm not saying that this is positive, but this is life, and we have to defend what's ours, end quote. So according to Defense One, Ukraine fires about 240,155 millimeter artillery shells per month, which is significantly higher than what the U.S. can produce. The U.S. has ramped up monthly production to a rate of 28,000 shells and is working to reach a goal of 80,000. And when it comes to Ukraine's war, uh, the, the war in Ukraine, you know, there's other issues for Zelensky, you know, despite besides the tightening supplies. And one of those is uh, just the fact that Biden still hasn't gotten that $61 billion he's looking for to fund the war for another year. All right. So the next one here is an article from the South China Morning Post. And it says that Taiwan's opposition, uh, they held talks on Saturday to, to work out who's going to run on the presidential ticket. Uh, but they broke down. And this is... um. The Kuomintang Party and Taiwan's People's Party, the two main opposition parties, the TPP is relatively new, uh, and but they've been polling really well, better than the Kuomintang. But in order for them to beat the ruling party, which is the independence-leaning Democratic Progressive Party, the DPP, which wants to really keep increasing ties with the U.S., in order to beat them, the best chance that the Kuomintang and the TPP have is to join forces. But apparently they held talks on Saturday and they could not agree, you know, which party's candidate will will be the lead, will run for president, and which one will run for vice president. Um, so, oh, one more thing, one more article that uh, I did not cover that Kyle wrote up while I was uh, away for the long weekend was that after Biden spoke with Xi, uh, the Chinese president, Xi Jinping, he said again that he was a dictator. And this was something that happened one of the last times they talked. You know, the, these talks actually seem like they went relatively well considering how bad the tensions are. And then you have Biden again going and, you know, hurling an insult at the Chinese president. And there's a clip of Blinken during this press conference when, when Biden said it. And he just like, the look on his face, he looks very upset, uh, you know, just offsetting I guess the whatever progress might have come from the talks. Uh, but that is it for the news for today. Go check out our viewpoints. One from Noah Carl. Who should we blame for civilian deaths in Gaza? One from Joshua Frank. Could Israel's war on Gaza go nuclear? One from Ramsey Baroud and Rom- Romana Rubio. Rape, ISIS, Mein Kampf, and other lies. How Israel lost all credibility. And one from Patrick Lawrence. The banality of propaganda. And one from James Banford, Israel's War on American Student Activists. Uh, But that is everything for me. 
I hope I hope everybody had a good weekend. We had a nice little trip up to New York. It was pretty quick, but it was fun. Um, you could always support this show by sharing, liking, subscribing, commenting, following us on Twitter or X. Uh, all that stuff helps us out. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow with some more news. Thanks for listening.